0: All right, Romans chapter 8. We're going gonna, to gonna get maybe an introduction to this. I don't know how far we'll get into this, but um, hopefully this will get us thinking in the right direction. All right, Romans chapter 8. We are looking at what in Romans chapter 8? Six words. All right, very good. And what are the six words? Oh, there we go. I, I like when I hear answers. So we have foreknowledge predestination called justified glorified elect all right now let me i want to i want to clarify something we talked about this last week when we looked at the word predestination there's more we could talk about in regards to the word predestination so i'll be i don't i don't want i'm not going to add any more to it because i want us just to make sure we have the basic idea of each word and then i'm going to try to explain a very important concept to remember to try. Now, I'm not worried about in here, but the people listening online, where there's lots of difference of opinions and this becomes very controversial, I want to try to ease some of that controversy. So let's go through the first word. What was the first word? Foreknowledge. What is the basic idea, based off the meaning of the word, what can we take away from the word foreknowledge? That it speaks of God, obviously this is referring to God's foreknowledge, and it refers to him knowing something, knowing something, beforehand and ordaining it all right the second word predestination predestination basically means what to predetermine what happens beforehand now already you you just have to acknowledge you're finding yourself put in a corner that you may not want to be theologically or philosophically because we have a god who knows everything before it happens ordains things and predetermines what happens. Either he predetermines nothing, which that wouldn't make any sense, right? He predetermines some things, but not all things, which then has problems because we have scripture that says that he works all things according to his will. So that means we already have a problem. Now, a lot, what a lot of people do is they take foreknowledge and predestination and what do they try to do with these two concepts? They try to take these two concepts. I'm just going to use an illustration that you guys can see the people online. I'll have to take my word for it. I'm standing here in the middle of the sanctuary, right? They take foreknowledge and predestination, and they run to this side of the building, right? And they drop it off right here, right? And I'm like, okay, you stay there. Don't move. And then they run to the other side of the church, way over here. And i like, okay, now we can talk about the doctrine of salvation, now we can talk about how someone gets saved. Because no way that foreknowledge and predestination has anything to do with salvation. We've got to keep them as separate as possible. Because if we start bringing them together, we end up with what? Okay, a doctrine that they don't like. Now let me remind you. Okay, this is so, 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 so very, very, very important. You can. I, I want to make sure we just realize this. When it comes down to salvation, let's make it very clear: who is saved? Well, no, no. Let's not. Let's not even bring in. Let's leave all of that alone. Let's just. From. I just want to make this as simple as possible. Who is saved under the idea of biblical Christianity? Those who believe. Correct. Those who believe. Those who do not believe are not saved. Those who believe. And because we receive the righteousness of Christ by what? By faith. All right. So those who believe are saved. Those who do not believe are not saved. That's a fact. Whether we believe in election or whether you don't believe in election, you still are going to end up with the same group of people who are saved. Who are they? Those who believe. Can I believe for you? No. Is it possible that someone can make a false profession of faith? Yes. Right? Lord, Lord, didn't we do this, this, and this? Depart from me. I never knew you. So there can be false professors. Everyone has to accept that there can be false professors. So can I, could I manipulate someone to say they believe? Does that mean they believe? No. Not necessarily, right? Because if they're just doing it out of manipulation. So the issue is, before we even get into these other issues, the only people who are saved are those who believe and those who don't believe are not saved. I want to make it very clear. When we get into these doctrinal issues about uh, foreknowledge, predestination, calling, election, we are talking about why does someone believe and why does someone not believe? Does that make sense? Whether you believe in election or don't believe in election, you end up with the same group of people saved. So I don't know why everyone gets so upset and bothered by it. They're like, but because what they're thinking is, wait a minute, I know someone is not saved, and you can't tell me that God didn't choose them. They get mad about that. But whether God chose them or didn't choose them, either they're going to believe or not going to believe. Correct? And even if you believe, well, they've got free will, I'll, I'll, I'll find a way. Well, Why would you try to force them to believe if you believe in free will? Because you don't want to violate their free will, right? And when you're praying for, and if you believe in free will, why do you pray for someone to get saved? Because God can't do anything to violate their free will. So what's the point of praying for them? <laughs> Right? Because everything would be to respect their free will. So what I want you to realize is that this is an issue of trying to understand why it happens. Everyone gets upset thinking, oh, no, if you believe in election, then, you, then, then you know, you're not going to witness. You're not going to do this. No, we all know we have to witness and tell the gospel. It's a, what we're trying to figure out is why does it work the way it does? Some people don't like to go look into that room because it makes them nervous. But it, why does it make you nervous? The same number of people are going to believe, and the same number of people are not going to believe. Correct. The issue is why. That so don't get caught up in. in it, I don't know why people get so nervous and get so. Everybody gets so mad. It, it really just comes down to that. So we've looked at foreknowledge. We've looked at we've looked at foreknowledge, and we've looked at predestination, which leads us to thinking. When it comes to salvation, if now if we bring these words over to salvation, that somehow salvation is connected to what? Two things. God's foreknowledge and God's predestination. And the reason we can assume that is because the very text we're looking at is dealing with the doctrine of salvation. All right, and we're going to see that with the next word. All right, everybody got their Bibles open? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter eight. I'm, I'm, a lot of times, I like to let you guys read it, but I'm going to read this because I want you to. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to see what you what you can tell me. All right. This is I, this is going to be based on your observational skills. All right. Everybody ready? Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. All right. What's the next word? Called. Now, when you read this text and you see the word called, what immediately jumps out at you that could cause some major theological discomfort What jumps out at you in that text? Okay, well, there's the calling, but there's something else. Everybody's seen the calling. Something happens here that should make you go, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What happens to those he calls? There we go. Whoever these called people are are justified. So that immediately raises the wait a minute. If those Who are justified are those he called and is everyone justified? So that would mean everyone is not? Now you see why now people can get very upset. So this is, before you, don't even worry about foreknowledge, don't even worry about predestination, just put those two concepts together. Those he calls, he what? Justifies. Is everyone justified? Conclusion? Not are called. Does that, everybody follow that? Those he, those he calls, he what? He justifies. And not only does he justify them, he glorifies them. So if a person is called, what will happen? They're going to be justified and they're going to be glorified. That's what the text says, right? All right. Is everyone justified? Is everyone going to be glorified? And result? All right. I don't. There's. No, there, you don't have to go to seminary to figure that out. You don't have to go to Bible college. We don't even have to look up the Greek word. We don't have to do any work. That raises all kinds of questions. So immediately we have to start going, whoa, 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 what, what just happened? You, that, end, that ends the dispute. Like when anyone wants to argue with me, I just go right there. I remember having an argument with someone at, at the hospital. We were having this big argument because they went to some church in Abilene and wanted to argue because, you know, I supposedly am a Calvinist. And I'm like, look, I'm like, is everyone called? And then he said, yes. God calls everyone. I'm like, okay, then is everyone justified? No. I'm like, well, then what does the text say? He's like, well, those who don't believe won't be justified. I said, that's not what the text says. It says those who are called will be justified. And I'm like, so don't, and he tried to accuse me of not knowing how to read. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's right. Is it not right there? How does it work? God first foreknows. Yes. Yes. Then he predestinates, then he calls, then he justifies, glorifies whoa that is that really that complicated? Is everyone saved so therefore that would mean that the people he foreknows here can't be everyone because not everyone is saved the people that is every that the people he predestinates can't be everyone because not everyone is. And the ones he calls can't be everyone because not everyone is saved. And obviously the ones he justifies can't be everyone because not everyone is. And the one he glorifies can't be everyone because, whoa, thank you. Now that's the end. We'll go home because we've done. We've resolved all of this dispute over the subject in about five minutes. All it requires that when you read the text, it's over. Like I don't understand how there can be anyone who can argue with you. Okay, but when they when they continue to argue, it just demonstrates that they, they don't even care what the text says at that point. They don't even care. So let's go through this and just find out some basic information. What's the first thing we need to do here? Do what? Okay, look. I think I heard someone say, "Look up the Greek word." That's very good. So if you have the Blue Letter Bible app, we can do this. For those listening online. We always do this together just so that there can be no one who can argue that we're making the word say something it doesn't say. All right, called is used in verse 30, correct? I'm going to pull up the interlinear. All right, whom or over he did predestinate, them also he called. Here is the Greek word for called. Everyone should probably know this Greek word. Strong's G, 2564. Kaleo, kaleo. All right, Kaleo. Everybody got that? Very simple. Kaleo. It's used how many times in the Bible or in the King James? 146 times. 125 times it's, it's, it's translated as what? Call. 16 times bid. One time be so named. And then uh, three times, or it's named with another uh, Greek word, and then one time miscellaneous. But the main, it's always used basically to refer to what? A call. Everybody got that? Strong's definition? To call, properly allowed, but used in a variety of applications, directly or otherwise. Bid, call, forth. Say, I did a call. What's the outline of biblical usage? To call, to call aloud, utter in a loud voice, to invite, to call. To name, by name, to give a name to, to receive the name of, receive as a name, to give some, uh, a name to one, call his name, to be called, to bear a name, to, to salute one by name. So the basic idea is what? To call. To call. Now you could argue to call or to name. It's the idea of calling and to name, And and, 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 which which is kind of adds an interesting possible theological implication, but we won't get into that. That is to call. Everybody understand what it is to call someone. Yes. Okay. Back in the olden days, right when uh, we we didn't have all of the uh, TV channels and video games, I, I hear there's a rumor that kids used to play outside. I hear, I hear that they did. I don't know why, but they did, all right? And I would hear that at certain times, usually the parents would leave them outside because of child abuse. They would leave them outside all day, right, which is just unreasonable, and the parents should be in jail for it. Leave them outside all day, and then when it started getting dark, they would open the door and do what? Call them, telling them what? What? Time to come home. Now, why the kids are not already in the house is, raises questions about the kids' sanity, okay? Because there's nothing outside that you should want. Everything is inside called, I don't know, air conditioning, food, comfort, music, you know, where real life takes place. Okay, But people would go outside. But they are called, and we all know what that is to call. All right? Is that complicated? All right, so where's the complication with this word? Oh, okay, there we go. Here, here's where the controversial the controversy is. Does God call everyone? Are there any scriptures that imply God calls everyone? And if there's an implication that God calls everyone, then what's the theological implication that could lead to? What's it called? No, no, y'all are breaking it down. Don't do that yet. Okay, well, that's a good question. If God calls everyone, what is it to call to? That's good. Another thing it could lead to is the doctrine of, starts with a U, universalism. Yes, that everyone is or everyone will be saved. All right? so we got to figure out who's being called if we have any verses that imply everyone will be called that could lead to the doctrine of universalism which we'd have a major problem with it since the Bible does speak of people d- being judged and be- being put in the lake of fire Correct. so that doesn't really work out very well so we got to understand then what do we do with this calling so we're going we're gonna to go to Grudem not to the new edition to the old edition of Grudem's Systematic Theology he's got a new edition out um, and we're gonna, and I want you to just hear the title here right you ready the gospel call and effective calling so what is the gospel call and what is the effectual call we'll call it the effectual call the gospel call and the effectual call are they the same thing is there a difference seth was using a different terminology what were you using general Gen- general and effectual. So in other words, there is, there is an argument within theology that the called or calling should be broken down into two different types of calling. We're going to see what Grudem does with this. And then I, I don't want to spend, I, we may have to, I don't think we really need to. I guess one could argue we could go work through all 148 verses where the word called is used. I don't think we need to, but we may have to. okay. All right. Okay, I know I, th- that's a good question. Well, I, I figured someone was going to ask the question. All right, let's mark Romans eight, Matthew tw- 22, 14, Right? Okay, Matthew twenty two fourteen. I knew we were going to get here, but we'll read it now. We may not. I may not be able to give you a full answer now, Will. But we'll we'll do our best. Okay, because what the, the, there's a couple of issues here. Uh, Go to Matthew 22, 1. What's the first issue with this section? Look at Matthew 22, 1 and tell me what the first issue is. Oh, we're in a parable. Don't you love that? Okay, because that always leads to all kinds of what kind of issues? Interpretive issues, right? So we know it's a parable first and foremost, but at the end of this parable, we read this. Many are called, but few are called chosen now for, for us as a reformed church we know exactly what to do with that right that doesn't bother us at all the call it, we would seth already used the term that for, that calling would be what general call and then the chosen would be those who receive the effectual call all right i do believe this verse is important and we have we'll have to take the parable apart it is a, I think it definitely leads to this because we have called and we have chosen. Those are different categories, right? So it, if, if not everyone called is chosen, and obviously not everyone is justified, so obviously not everyone can be called, we then have to figure out what kind of callings are being discussed. Does that make sense? Right, so that's that's an. Go ahead and keep that. Write that verse down because we definitely will need to come back to that because that is a very important verse. And uh, trust me, it's going to be mentioned in Grudem. I guarantee you. All right, here we go. Oh, it's a different Greek word in Matthew. Okay. Okay, it's a slightly different word. Okay, that may come into play. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. I'm glad you pointed that out. All right, here we go. This is what Grudem says. Everybody thinking caps on? When Paul talks about the way that God brings salvation into our lives, he says those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also... Glorified. I want everyone to just make sure you have, like this verse should just be memorized and burned in your brain, all right? Those he predestined, he did what? He called, and those he called, he did what? Justified, and those he justified, he's going to do what? Glorified. In fact, it's almost spoken of as a past thing, almost, all right? Like it's a guaranteed. Here Paul points to a definite order into which the blessings of salvation come to us. Although long ago, before the world was made, God predestined us to be his children and to be conformed to the image of his son. Paul points to the fact that in the actual outworking of his purpose in our lives, God called, here in the context, God the Father is specifically in view. Then Paul immediately lists justification and glorification, showing that these come after calling. Paul indicates that there is a definite order in God's saving purpose though not every aspect of our salvation is mentioned here. So we will begin our discussion of the different parts of our experience of salvation with the topic of calling. All right, everybody got that? So what, Grudem wants us to see that there's an order there. I, I would agree there's an order there. Would everyone else agree? All right, where, is the, where does the order begin with? Begins where? With God. All right, it begins with God. So, and foreknowledge and predestination, that's all dealing with God, not with us, right? Then, where do we get involved? The calling. We are called, and then God does the justice. But please note, it's all God doing it all. Yes? I just, we don't even show up in it as far as what we do. Agreed? That's very important. So I make salvation a work of whom? What do we call that in a Reformed theology? Monergistic. Monergistic salvation, right? We believe salvation is a work of God. Monergism is the idea that it's a work of whom? One. Synergism is a work of whom? Two. We believe salvation is a work of one. We're monergistic as a church. We're not synergistic, okay? And everybody here already knows that, right? So he's going to start with what he calls effective calling. We typically use the word effectual, but same concept because we use the King James, so we use effectual, okay? Effective calling. Everybody there? Here we go. Thinking caps on, listening. When Paul says those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, he indicates that calling is an act of God. In fact, it is specifically an act of God the Father for, who, for he is the one who predestines people to be conformed to the image of his son. Other verses describe more fully what this calling is. All right, and we'll, let's look at some of these scriptures. Go to 1 Peter 2.9. There's a lot of scripture. You know, actually, let's not do that because of time. I want to see how far we can get. I'm just going to make references to these scriptures. You can write them down. I would like to look them all up, but then that'll turn into then trying to expound each passage. So let's go through this again. Other verses describe more fully what what this calling is. When God calls people in in his powerful way, he calls them out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9. He calls them into the fellowship of his son, 1 Corinthians 1 9 and Acts 2.39. He calls them into his own kingdom and glory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. People who have been called by God belong to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 6. They are called to be saints, Romans chapter 1, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 1:2. 1, they have come into the realm of peace, 1 Corinthians 7.15 and Colossians 3.15. They have come into freedom, Galatians 5.13. They have come into hope, Ephesians 1.8. They've come into holiness, 1 Thessalonians 4.7. They've come into patience, endurance of suffering, 1 Peter 2.20 and following. And they've come into eternal life. 1 Timothy 6.12. Now why is all of that significant? I know that's a long list of things and we could break each one down. Why is all of that important to understand? Because the calling seems to be when God calls, this is what it brings you into. These are the results. Making it what kind of a call? Say it. Effectual call. It's effective. It's effective. That when God calls, these are the things that happen. These are the results of the calling. Go back to the illustration. Back in the olden days, when kids played outside, right? Back in those abusive times, sometimes you would call the kid and what would happen? They wouldn't show up. Right? They wouldn't show up. And, and then guess what you would have to do? Then you got to go get them. That's why it's easier just to leave them inside. Okay? Then you don't have to go find them, right? But then you got to go find them. Okay? Well, here when God calls, it's effectual. That's the point. Now, is it always effectual? If it's not always effectual, why is it not effectual? Is there a difference? That's what we have to understand. Because this would seem to indicate that if God calls anyone, these all these things will what? be the result of it everybody got that all right these verses indicate that no powerless or merely human calling is in view this calling is rather a kind of summons from the king of the universe and it has such power that it brings about the response that it asks for in people's hearts it is an act of God that guarantees response. Because Paul specifies in Romans 8.30 that all who are called were also what? Justified. This calling has the capacity to draw us out of the kingdom of darkness, bring us into the into God's kingdom, so we can join in full fellowship with him. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 1.9. This powerful act of God is often referred to as the effectual or effective calling to distinguish it from the general gospel invitation. So he's, gonna get, he's just now indicated there's how many calls? Two. What are they? Effective, general, or he's sometimes referred to as the gospel call. Yeah, silver from greater. Now, I'm going to skip some because for time, he's going to give us a definition of effective calling. Everybody got that? I want you to get this definition down. Everybody ready? Here's the definition of effective calling or the definition of effectual calling. Effective calling is an act of God the Father. I'll make sure you have that down. Effectual calling is what? An act of whom? God the Father. It's an act of 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 God the Father. Now, why is that important? Okay, let's get really practical now. Let's get let's because we're 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 well there in the in the in the deep end of the pool in theology. Let's get practical here. What's the practical implication of that statement? That an effectual, the effectual call is what? It's an act of God the Father. Alright, why is what what's so important about this? Do I? Okay, it's outside of us. There's a very practical implication of this. Okay, well again, for a lot of different ways, but let's just start as a parent. You can give a general call to your kid, but what can you not give? An effectual call. You cannot give an effectual call to your child. Does that make you mad? I want you to understand. They say, now, some people, that's where people get very upset. They're like, well, how dare you? If the child has free will, can you give them an effectual call? No, because their will is supposedly free. You can try to manipulate their will. You can try to bend it. You can try to shape it. And for those of us who have been of independent fundamental Baptist churches, there was a lot of teaching you how to do that. Bend, manipulate, you know, kids' church where you say, do you want to burn in a really bad place? And, and little Johnny's like, I don't want to burn in a really bad place. Well, come say this prayer. You say the prayer, little Johnny saved. And then when little Johnny's 19, he's under a bridge with a heroin needle in his arm with no clothes on. And you're like, what happened to little Johnny? Because little Johnny got manipulated, okay? All right? I, I, didn't, I, mean, I, I know that's a little extreme, but you get the idea. Okay? Like will, well, if it's gonna be free, it's supposed to be free. And if you if you're so big on free will, you wouldn't want to do anything to compromise their freedom. Because that's isn't that the biggest thing for free will people? God would never over overcome someone's free will, but then they got no problem as a parent trying to overcome their kids' free will. Well, why? god can't do it but you can right no you're going to respect their free will so i want to make it very clear that even no matter what you believe if the if you believe in free will you can't bre- you can't give an effectual call to in free will that would be up to who all you can do is call them it's up to the individual if you don't believe in free will can you give an effectual call No, so in both cases, it's not. But I just want you to understand, if the effectual call is an act of God the Father, you cannot do that. That's bad news and that's good news. It's bad news because I want to give the effectual call to whom? Everyone, don't you? Especially your kids. I would like to be able to give the effectual call to my mother. Right? There's lots of people. Yes? So, that's bad news. What's why is it why is there is there any good news to that? What's the good news? Well, the good news is there we go, Bobby. We're not responsible. What are we responsible to, to deliver? The general call. You have a responsibility to share the gospel with anyone and everyone you can. Right? you're not responsible for them getting saved. Now, I know in, in independent fundamental Baptist churches that would yell and scream, no, 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 no. If you raise them the right way, they're going to get saved. Well, that would that would argue that their will is subject to my parenting skills. It doesn't work that way. Again, I've you've all witnessed it. I've watched families raise their, like they'll have 50 kids, especially people with large families, right? You'll see this because it 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 can—it can—it's just bizarre to me. All 50 kids are raised the exact same way. Yeah, exact same way, same parenting skills, same discipline, all of the, all of the rules, whatever they do. They may have not let them listen to secular music, watch TV, all the rules. Like you'll have one family where they got 927 rules because we're not going to let the world get our kids, right? And they're going to do that. And you got over here, you got a, a family with 50 kids. They don't even go to church. <laughs> okay, They're selling drugs from the kitchen, right? And guess what will happen in many cases? their kids are the ones that come out saved and the kids raised in the Christian home are the ones like, I hate God and Christianity. And you're like, wait, what just happened? Now, does it always work that way? No, there's, there's no consistency. I wasn't raised in a Christian home in any way, shape or form. Here I stand. You've known people who are raised in a Christian home and where are they today? Not only not in church, in many cases completely, absolutely abandon or reject anything that even looks like biblical Christianity. They may still try to claim something with Christianity, but you're like, if that's Christianity, then, you know, I'm a Muslim because, you know, I don't know what that is. So there's good, I, I like the fact that we're not responsible, but I hate the fact that I can't give it. So the first thing we see here is that the effectual call is what? An act of God the Father. I just, I want to make sure you just get that down. All right. What's the second part of the definition? I wish it wasn't that, I wish it was different, but it's not. All right. The effectual call is an act of God the Father speaking through the human proclamation of the gospel. Now that's interesting. How is the effectual call ultimately delivered? Through the human proclamation of the gospel. In other words, what what does that imply? We do have a responsibility, yes, but it also implies that this effectual call doesn't happen in some like, like, you know, you're just walking down the street and (laughs) I've been called, right? It's not some just supernatural thing. The effectual call is a supernatural work, but it happens through the human proclamation of the gospel. So that means when I present the gospel to someone, I can have assurance that if God wants the person saved, so that should give you boldness and witnessing you don't have to in other words, witnessing is not about winning debates or winning arguments that's something I had to learn early on because I could always out i could out debate people I could out argue people, but at some point you realize. There's no point in trying to out argue and out win. You don't have to win every argument. Wait, what's your responsibility? What 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 are the key elements you need to present to someone who's lost? There is a God who is holy. You're a sin, you're a sinner. And you demonstrate that there is sin based off the God of the Bible. That the God of the Bible would say that this is sin and that you cannot do what save yourself. And what's the only solution to your problem? Christ, the eternal second person of the Trinity who came and died on the cross and by faith his righteousness is imputed to your account. You need to trust and believe in him. Those are the basic elements. And they can say, well, what they may argue, what about this and what about this and what about that? I'm not saying you ignore their questions. The main thing is before you start entertaining their questions, you make sure they understand what the gospel is. They understand it, then by all means address the rest. Right? Because you've now done your job. Does that make sense? You, you don't have to try to win every debate and win every argument. Because you, can, you may win the debate and win every argument, and guess what? They're still not saved. So you just got to make sure they have the gospel. all right So the effectual calling is an act of God the Father speaking through what? Human proclamation of the gospel in which God, he, summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. So effectual calling is an act of God the Father speaking through the human proclamation of the gospel in which he summons people to himself in such a way that what happens? They respond in saving faith. Look at uh, John six forty four. 44, just as kind of an idea here. John 6:44, you probably all know this verse, especially in a reformed church. John 6:44. everybody there? What does it say? "No one or no man, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him." In other words, no one can come to the Father unless what? In other words, no one can come to the son unless the Father does something. The Father has to do something. He has to work in them. Listen, this is why I'm going to say this, and I know I'm going to offend a lot of people listening, but I'm going to say this. Every Christian prays like they're a Calvinist. Because we pray for God to do something, whether people want it or not, correct? the good you know, independent fundamental Baptist background. I'm from an independent fundamental Baptist background. When we prayed, we didn't pray like this. Lord, please, please save Emma if she wants to be saved. No, what did we pray? Call her, break her, you know, bring her into salvation. Well, why would we pray all of these things? Because if we if we believe in free will, there's no point in praying, right? So everyone, it's funny when people are when people who believe in free will they pray like they're a Calvinist because they want God to literally, oh, you know, change your heart, bring her. Why would you? You're going against her free will. Don't don't do that. But no one comes to the Father unless what happens? Unless the Father draws them. There's another one. We can bring Lydia into this one. Look at Acts 16:14. I think it, I think this is Lydia, in Acts sixteen fourteen, I believe. And we pray that this will happen to Lydia one day, right? Okay, there's a woman named Lydia, yep. And then, didn't she have something with purple? Yep. Okay. Thyatara, and what happens to Lydia in Acts sixteen fourteen? The Lord, the Lord opened her heart to do what? To say to something about the words. That she attended to the in other words, she listened and, and she, she believed in what was being preached. Right? God has to open the heart. God has to do this. That's the effectual call. I, 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 I mean, there's so many other ways that we can uh, look at this. All right? Everybody got that? All right. Now. Um, oh. Okay. Now. I'm going to go here. So in distinction from the effectual calling, which is entirely an act of God, we may talk about the general call. All right. Now the general call or the gospel call is what? What is basic? What, how would we define the general gospel call? How, what would, be, how would we define the general or gospel call? It's a human proclamation of the gospel. And it can go to whom? Every single person. The gospel is to be preached to whom? All people. So let's let's make sure we understand this, because once we get into the Calvinist debate, again, everybody gets all nervous. As Calvinists, do we believe the call should go to everyone? Yes. Can we believe anyone can be saved without the gospel call? No, because the effectual call comes through the gospel call. Does that make sense? So we believe that the gospel call goes to, where should it go? Every single person. Every single person. Doesn't matter where they are, who they are. Doesn't matter race. Doesn't matter gender. Doesn't matter gender identity. It doesn't matter whom they are. We just want to give the gospel call to them. And then who takes over from that point? God. Well, God, does God effectually call everyone? How do we know he doesn't effectually call everyone? Because not everyone is saved, okay? Does that make sense? Right, does everyone understand that? All right. Um, um, I'm going to just read this from here. The gospel, is, the gospel call is offered to all people, even those who do not accept it. Sometimes the gospel call is referred to as external calling or general calling. By contrast, the effective calling of God that actually brings about a willing response from the person who hears it is sometimes called the internal calling. The gospel call is general um, and external and often rejected, while the effectual call is particular, internal, and is always effective. However, this does not diminish the importance of the gospel call. It is the means God has appointed through which the effectual calling will come. When the gospel call, without the gospel call, no one could be saved. How are they to believe in whom they have not heard? Romans ten fourteen. Therefore, it is important to understand exactly what the gospel call is. And then they go through the gospel call. The gospel call involves preaching. It involves witnessing. It involves all kinds of things. They go through a lot detail. So I want to make sure we understand these two callings. What's the first calling? The effective or effectual call. What are some of the ways to describe the effective, the effective call? It is internal. It's particular. It's effective. It's divine. It's an act of God. Alone. Thank you, thank you. That very important word, alone there. It's monergistic, okay? It's not the work of two. Everybody got that? And then we have the gospel call which can go, is sent to anyone and everyone. And you know what? It's frustrating. Even from a preacher standpoint, you can preach the same message and you'll get very different responses. I can't, now I can come up with every human technique to try to get a better humanistic response, but that's a humanistic response. My job is just to preach the truth and then God has to do what he wants. Do I wish God would do things differently sometimes? Yes. But don't we, have, don't we have that problem with God literally from Genesis 1? In the, in the, reading the Bible is a never-ending experience of being upset that God doesn't do things our way. Let me state that again. Reading the Bible is a never-ending experience of being frustrated that God doesn't do things our way. That's just the way. If you, if you read the Bible and you're honest, you're going to constantly be frustrated. You're going to be like, wait a minute. Why, why did you let the snake into the garden? And then you find out, wait, you created the one using the snake. Why didn't you get rid of I'm like, I can just, have, I'll, I'll, every day I read the Bible, I'm like, it makes no sense. 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 For example, this week uh, in the Bible study exercise, we're in 1 Kings 17, verse 7 and following. Right? Okay. So, uh, Elijah goes to Ahab and says, hey, it's not going to rain. Now, the reason he goes after rain is because Ahab worships Baal, and Baal has a female goddess that when they have physical relations, it rains. So by saying it's not going to rain, he's going after both the male god and the female god. So it's very specific in going after them. All right? So he says it's not going to rain, and God says, okay, it's not going to rain. That's going to be bad for everyone. Hey, Elijah, go here. And he gets there, and guess what he finds? Water. There's a brook where there's water. So he has water. Everybody else is going to be without water. He's got water. And guess what else happens? Uber eats, brings him food. In other words, Ravens brings the food and drops it off to him. That's crazy. Ravens bringing him food and he's drinking water. And you're like, this is crazy. God miraculously doing all these wonderful things. And then guess what happens after so many, who knows how long he's there? The brook just dries up. Why? Well, it hadn't rained, but God can continue to provide water, correct? Has, has he not proved earlier on the Bible he can provide water? So what does he do? He get up and go. So he goes, and where does he go? Does anybody know the story? Goes to a widow. The worst place, the worst person to be in the middle of a situation where there's no rain. If someone's going to run out of money and food, it's going to be a widow in that culture. So she is, remember what she was out doing? She's out gathering some stuff so she could go home and make a little food and have a little drink so that, that her and her son could die. They're like, you know, this is it. This is the last meal. We're about to die. And then Elijah shows up, according to that, and says, hey, do what? Make something for me first. And you're looking at the whole story going, why do you have to send him to the widow when you could just already have food? Now, ultimately, though, by sending Elijah there, he saves the widow and the sun. So you could look at it from that perspective But I'm just saying there's story after story in the Bible Where you're like, Wait, why would you do it that way? It makes no sense Why would you bring an entire generation of people Out of bondage from Egypt So that ultimately, knowing that they're all going to die In the wilderness Why didn't you just bring out Moses, Joshua, Caleb And just bring them out Hey, you three, come with me Just just follow me. We'll leave the rest here. Then he brings them all out. And what happens to the entire generation? They walk around in a big circle for how long? 40 years. And what are they doing for 40 years? Does that make any sense to anyone? So the Bible is filled with things that don't make any sense. So I just want to make sure you... When, when everyone gets to Romans 8, everyone loses their minds. Like, this makes no sense and I can't believe a God who would do this. I'm like, what God have you been reading about since Genesis 1-1? Hey, go in and kill every man, woman, boy, girl, child. That didn't bother you? Okay, That, that you didn't have an issue with that? And then you get to Romans 8, you're like, my God would never. Your God's been doing a lot of things that you probably would be like, my God would never. I hate when Christians say, my God would never. It's like, Your God did a lot of things in the Bible, agreed? Your God created a world knowing that people in this world would not believe and would die and go where? And that's hell is what? Eternal, does that, does that make any sense to anybody? I know you're not supposed to say those things in church, but the fact that Christians won't say those things you're just p- pretending. Why pretend with this difficulty? Romans 8 is not even difficult. Romans 8 should not even make you blink an eye if you've been reading from Genesis. That's why it's in Romans 8. <laughs> because by the time you get from Genesis to Romans 8, you're like, nothing can shock me at this point. Nothing can surprise me at this point. And then you get to Romans 8, you're like, okay, what, what, next. At this point, nothing's controversial. Is anything shocking to you by the time you get to Romans 8? I mean, what have you witnessed by the time you get to Romans 8, if you think about everything that has occurred in the Bible up to that point? But people get to Romans 8, and they lose their ever-living mind. And they're like, how dare you? And I'm like, calm down. Your issue should have started way back in Genesis. I always say the most controversial verse in the Bible is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I want to stop right there and go, have you seen what it's going to turn into? I live in 2021. When I read Genesis 1, I'm thinking, someone made a mistake. No mistake, right? According to God's what? (laughs) Predetermined will. His providence. It's just the fact we don't, the preachers won't ever go there because it makes people uncomfortable and people get nervous and people get mad. But, But do you want a God that brings you comfort or do you want a God who's God? I would like a God who would bring me comfort, and I do believe there's comfort in believing in God, but I believe there's a lot of things that disturb me. Remember the famous quote by Luther? Do I love God? Sometimes I hate him. Now people hear that and they're like, I love that quote because it's honest. Because guess what? You can say all day the right words, but everybody knows. Does anybody here ever get mad? At God? Struggle? Yes. Do I struggle with? Look, here's the thing. Forget when people say, well, God had to give every, just think the free will excuse never makes any sense to me. Well, God had to give everyone free will. Well, if he had to give everyone free will, knowing that free will was going to lead more people to hell than to heaven, wouldn't it have been better to never create the earth? thank you. Emma will say it. (laughs) Emma's like, I'll say it. Everybody else is like, I want to say it, but I don't want to say it, right? No, because it it would make sense. So free will, everyone thinks free will is the answer. Well, he gave everyone free will. So therefore, you know, you know, God God couldn't do anything about it. He could have done really, he could have done something very easy. What would that have been? Not create, and everybody's like, well, God, God is letting everything go on because he's giving people time to repent. But he knows that the majority of people will not. So why give them more time? More time has only led to more people going where? These are, so I just want to make sure you understand, Romans 8 is not, like, it shouldn't even bother you. You should be at a Romans 8 going, oh, this is controversial. And and think that's that's why The more I read my Bible, when I finally got introduced to some of these concepts, that's why it weren't shocking to me. Because I'd already read the Bible who knows how many times. I'm like, this is the least shocking thing compared to the stuff earlier on. So, let's go through this. All right, number one, what's the first word? Foreknowledge. What does that mean? He knows, knows before, and ordains. Predestination? He preordains and then predetermines. And the next, called. And we believe that the people God calls are the people he will justify because that's what the text says. Immediately we realize, wait a minute, that brings up a problem because not everyone is saved. So we have two kinds of calls. What do we believe the two calls are? The effectual call and the gospel call. Now, everyone in this room, and I want everybody to listen, everyone in this room who's been in this church for any length of time, you've all received the gospel call. No question about it. We've talked about the gospel 900 different what times, millions of times, right? And that's probably not even an exaggeration. We've talked about it from a doctrinal perspective, from a theological perspective. Everyone here has received the gospel call. The one thing I cannot do for you is give you the effectual call. I wish every person who's ever walked into this building would have received the effectual call. I still pray that that time will come. But the good thing is, that's on God, not on me. But if you're here right now, and you know that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that means you received the effectual call. And let me tell you something. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And you better thank God every day for it. Because you have eternal life, your sins have been forgiven, and it had nothing to do with you. Why he called you, I have no idea. He didn't call you because you were smarter, he didn't call you because you were more godly. Just go through the Bible. The person who was used to bring uh, Israel out of uh, Egyptian captivity was Moses. Was he more godly? He was a murderer. A, true? Abram, Abraham. I mean, when you, when you come up with a solution to fulfill God's plan by taking your handmaid, and we don't even know how consensual that was or wasn't because she was a, a, a basically a slave, that's a pretty messed up story. Yeah, he's the hero of our faith. Demonstrating that those of faith aren't always the best people. How about David. Not the best, was he? How about Solomon, of all people? Proverb a day keeps the devil away, right? Let's read that Proverbs, because that's a great guy, because we want him to be our Sunday school teacher. He was only a serial polygamist and adulterer, and an idolater before it was all said and done. Ultimately, led to the division of the entire kingdom, ultimately. Yeah, whoa, that's great. In other words, all the people in the Bible are all messed up, right? Guess what? All the people in this church... We're all messed up. Does that excuse our being messed up? No. Should we repent? Do we have to deal with our sin? Yes. No excuse for it. We have to deal with it. It's horrible. We all make mistakes. We all sin. Forget mistakes. We all sin. The, the great thing is, in spite of all of that, God called you. Don't think you were, you were called because you're better than the person sitting at home Right now, who's an alcoholic, who his life is falling apart. I can't think that I'm better than, I don't know where my sister is right now. Who knows? Possibly, who knows? We've got some news that she's trying to get clean. We don't know. She could be dead for all I know, okay? Um, I don't know where she is, but I'm not better than her. The difference between her and I is not because, well, I don't do drugs and she does drugs, okay? Not because of all the things that she has done versus the things I have done, and I try to somehow measure and go, well, I'm a little bit better than her. The, I we're both sinners. The only difference is, is I received the effectual call. I and mean, I didn't earn it or deserve it. If that doesn't break you and humble you, I don't know what will. And pray and beg God for the people you know that he will give them the effectual call. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Difficult, difficult subject for some, but it's right there in your word. Our job is to humbly bow before it and not rise up and rebel against it. And I prayed that would be the case. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,